Hello and welcome to Phenomenal. I'm Trisna, a psychologist with an interest in the well-being and fulfilment of artists, performers, creatives, and all those who follow their passion. Phenomenal is a podcast about walking in the shoes of some exceptional people who have paved their own way in life. In this podcast, I hope to not only introduce these phenomenal people, but also give an opportunity to understand them phenomenologically by hearing their lived experience. In this episode of Phenomenal, I speak to independent dancer and choreographer Yumi Umiyamare. At the very beginning of a range of closures in Victoria, in the face of the COVID-19 pandemic, we speak about healing through movement, the balance between containment and freedom, and about the urgency for us to slow down and come back to the bare essentials. Hi, Yumi. Hi, Trisna. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. That's good. So we're sitting mm, possibly four metres apart mm-hmm. in the studio mm-hmm. in very unusual circumstances. Yes. Um, could we start just with you telling us what it is that you do? Okay. I am uh, from originally from Japan and uh, I lived here in Australia probably 20 seven years and came to Australia initially with a company called Buto Dance Company. Buto is a Japanese dance form. So 1991, I came to this company called Daira Kudakan, came to Melbourne International Festival. So I'm doing this Japanese art form called Buto for last nearly 30 years. But initially I started when I was little, I did a classical ballets and little all sort of dance expression kind of movement Mm -hmm. because I was very physical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and what, what made you stay in Australia? Well, uh, the company we came together was only Melbourne Festival for 10 days, mm. but I met many people and one of them I also becomes very good friendship and relationship and that becomes um, get the partnership visa and I moved mm-hmm. here in 93 uh-huh. and was since then also that time I was very interested in Australian, I mean, I wasn't knowing much about Australian culture, but I was excited to see the Melbourne when I came first time, see first time St Kilda and lots of interesting time around ni- early 90s, like a lot of artists and yeah. hippies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, you said as a child you danced because you liked moving, mm-hmm. but what was it that particularly drew you to Buto? Well, uh, my mum always thought of I should be very gymnastic, uh, calls and all sort of uh, physical classes and workshop, but that time only have a classical ballet. Mm. And classical ballet is obviously a little bit restrictive and um, very particular rules and you have to follow the very certain shapes and pattern of movement. Mm. So I only done classical ballet until I, I first time saw Buto and I was so shocked because all the performers doing exactly opposite from the classical <laughs> ballet dancers yeah. should do. Yeah. Or teacher shouldn't do. The teacher would say, "Don't do it," mm. and they are doing it, mm. <laughs> like a yeah. pulling their face or twisted their body, and saliva is coming from their mouth. And yeah, eyes 
rolling into the, uh, the other side of the head. Or yeah. <laughs> so I was kind of scared, but kind of liberated. Mm. So that's my start of curious to start seeing Buto and then drawing into this interesting um, attractions. Mm. Mm. Can you tell us more about sort of the origins and the philosophy behind Buto? Yes. Buto literally means, bu means dance and to means stomping. Mm. And original whole name of that Buto was called Ankoku Buto. Ankoku means darkness. Mm. So original name was started as a dance of darkness. Mm. So in the 60s um, or even late 50s in Japan, after the war, people are trying to uh, um, kind of raising up their own economical powers and lots of art movement happened. And that time, Buto started very radical art form. So contemporary dance was happening, but Buto was a little bit radical there, naked, screaming, mm. or cut the chicken's head off and run, or mm. a little bit radical and guerrilla kind of movement on the street. So the person who started Buto is called Tatsumi Hijikata, mm -hmm. and he started focusing on the dark side of dance. Mm. So not just beauty. Of course, it's a sense of beauty is coming from darkness and light, beautiful shining parts. So mm. he was focusing really deeply about the darkness of the dance. So lots of movements sometimes don't move. Mm. So that's movement. Should dancers, you should move. That's an, a, a normal common knowledge about movement. But he focusing, uh, focusing about the dance cannot move. Mm. So there are lots of movements very still or yeah. kind of mold in your body in a certain shape or very, very slow walk. Mm. So one of the... Um, earlier time in 90s, Melbourne critics were um, judging about Buto's, Buto's performance, like 90 minutes from A place to B place, walking very slow. That's it. Mm -hmm. Nothing happening, you know. Mm -hmm. But it's a kind of a route into our traditional cult uh, art form, like a kabuki or no theatre. Mm -hmm. Especially no theatre is also kind of 600 years history. That's very, very slow move, slow movement. So they are coming from our cultures. Buto is not just even started happening late 50s. Mm. Have a lots of influence from our deeper traditional art form of no theatres or kind of primitive dance form. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And what does it, what does it communicate or is it something that it, it's kind of beyond words by by virtue of the fact that it's a, a movement. So. Yeah, well, uh, well, that's because, as I said, like when I only knew about classical ballet, yeah. when I saw it, like, what the hell <laughs> of this not moving and they're dancing head off, but not not the dance I knew. Yes. And uh, none of them were trained dancer. And yeah. I came from, as I said, a little bit of a few years, six years of classical ballet training, I can remember the choreograph. Yes. But the, all the performers in the Buto class was non-trained performer, mm. but then they just smashed themselves onto the wall and run. And, yeah. And, but energy and spirits there, you know. Yeah. So for me, that was a very strong attraction and curiosity was expanding because... What's this one? So, mm. and obviously later on, I heard about I started studying about history in seventies and eighties. Becomes mm. so popular in Europe and America. The mm. Buto form becomes a, um, a com, com, kind of influence some of the contemporary dance sections as well. Of mm. course, it's a very different way, but uh, influenced in a certain um, art making art art scene. Mm. So it's like for me also 
it's a very universal art form, not just, of course, came from Japan, but it's still relevant what is the darkness, you know? Like, yes. a, it, of course, in the 40, uh, 1950s and the 60s, is like social, after the war, and a defeat in the war and economical difference and difficulty. But now we have a much more different kind of darkness. Talk mm. about so many scary um, human psyches also gets dark and actual symptom of people, you know, at, at this right moment, of course, mm. viruses everywhere, fear is mm. our darkness too. So I think the Buddha in itself, it's not dark as the shadow or physical darkness, but the much, much dark, uh, deeper sort of uh, layers of darkness we can explore through the expression. Mm. Yeah, but then I, I, my personally, I also love very much comedy and laughter. Mm. Mm. <laughs> so I, I, I actually myself, since I moved to Australia, I start making a um, form called Buto Cabaret. Yeah. So dark side of Buto combined with satire and lightness and. Um, kind of fun side of cabaret. Yes. So it's a mixture between lightness within the darkness. Yes. Yeah. So that's I'm my interested in and interested in the layers of expression in mm. that sense. Yeah. And what sort of work have you done in that space in the Buto cabaret? Um, I started making 1999 and about four five series five series I've done make it. So initial called Tokyo Dashoku Girl, like it's a caricature Japanese girl, very kamas, very traditional and submissive, but turned to be blonde and just swear head off and mm-hmm. trying to singing as a bad karaoke song and try to bleach. Um, Dashoku literally means bleach. Mm-hmm. So take off the superficial stereotype of the people's perception about culture. Because yes. some people thinking, oh, Japan is so polite and so yes. beautiful and females are nice and you know, submissive. I mean, they don't call submissive anymore, but uh, in that sense of stereotype, yeah. I'm trying to bleach off. So the first series I did a, a Dashoku girl as in a girl who just trying to provoke the people's um, people's um, perception about culture. Yes. But the other parts, I I done a, I done a series is like a horror, Dashoku horror, which is urban myth and horror. I just explored about the human horror, but also pop icons, characters. I try to extract it from the cultures. And yes. so it's a lot of Hello Kitty characters or um, fake tan lady with high shoes character dancing, but changing yes. into the mythical figures. Or So it's like a little bit of a caricature and pop icon shifting into the mythical world or something. Yeah. And the most recent, I mean, not quite recent, but the last work I did was Dashoku Shake. Mm-hmm. That was also, again... Um, that was an earthquake happened in tsunami in 2011. Mm. So I took this shake world as a very heavy, strong inference to our culture. So it's a darkness hit at us as a demolished a, con- a certain part of the countries and people's psyche. But also, shake is more so shaking our emotion, mm. but the shaking hand with the communication and milkshake to drink, cheer up. You know, mm. lots of shake you yeah. can play with. So. This was also, we play with the mythical character into very funny um, kind of Japanese business businessman keeps shaking hand and trying to obey the orders. And um, this was a collaboration with a Japanese theater company called Theater Gambo. So they're very funny caricature company. So they're doing 
um, funny thing called McDonald, not mm. McDonald, but the mm-hmm. McDonald. So they keep making a milkshake and trying to giving you handshake and so shake as a kind of theme. Plus, again, what's our social darkness into kind of funny, hilarious pop scenes and yes. stuff. Yes. Yeah. And if I can speak one more, which yeah. I have got making now new pieces called Dashoku Tea Party, mm. and I'm. I have been doing last five years um, practicing Japanese tea ceremony. Mm. And um, that was a bit difficult, different from what I have been doing, which is m- lots of expressive external stuff. But tea ceremony is much more internal, small, ritual, and even audience is all like participants, like in the uh, four or five max. So mm-hmm. it's like a smaller um, performative space. So I've been practicing tea ceremony last five years plus exploring the tea ceremony in outdoor spaces and stuff. But in this new show, I'm going to create as a this bizarre cabaret plus tea ceremony, mm. making a little bit of open up for the huge seance and rituals. Mm. So <laughs> still embrace lots of darkness and what is now, what do you feel in the dark elements of Bhutto spirit we can explore plus how we can activate our ritual and ceremony through the tea or um, exchange through like as if like a tea ceremony. So hopefully, if I get all funding, can premiere this work this year, end of this year. Mm -hmm. But this climate of very difficult time must be like most likely possible next year. But I'm cooking lots of idea at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I interviewed you about a month ago yeah. um, for something else. And at the time you were talking about the tea ceremony in the context of the world needing to slow down. Mm. And, and at this point that almost feels a bit prophetic, mm. you know, <laughs> the way things have gone. Mm-hmm. So what what's your thinking around, um, you know, COVID-19 at the moment and, and the way things have, have unfolded? Well, it's a, of course, obviously scary thing. And I have, initially I was dismissed like, oh, that's a bit too much. Mm. That's not going to happen. But mm. seeing the other countries' reactions and also situation, I can't even make it too lightly. But mm. at the same time, I don't want to focus on the fear aspect. Mm. So... Um, most important is prevention, uh, pre- pre- preventing, and not maybe have to be very alert to be careful. Mm. But we cannot feed our fear, and we cannot just uh, project it our fear to the you know possible things happen. Mm. You know because anything would happen anyway. Mm. Mm. So as you said, the tea ceremony, which world need which. I world it including me <laughs> deeply yeah. because I needed it so much tea ceremony kind of pause and reflect and slow down mm. but also that's not sleeping it's actually alert moment yeah because every single movement of the tea ceremony like a purify the tea tools and eventually make a tea yeah and serving somebody else's and other people partake the tea and while you de- they're drinking they reflect their yeah. state. So it's like a whole, um, even simple, quickest procedure is only 15, 20 minutes, but it's like a whole universe. We could do very simply, we prepare and simply serve the others and simply receive from somebody else Mm. and simply appreciate. 
So also coming into the tea room is like a small universe, almost like this is made from the nature. Yeah. So we respect the natures and uh, our human existence in a very bare and we say pure and bare sort yeah. of thing. So I think it's a very philosophically interesting and beautiful, but now it's almost it's kind of not essential, but it's almost urgent yeah. <laughs> urgency for us to do that. Yeah. Because otherwise, we can follow the statics, statistics of how many people's getting infected, and we can feed about the more fear. But at the same time, we can slow down, we can get more time, we can see blue sky, and actually blue sky is getting more cleaner mm. <laughs> because of less cars traveling and less airplanes yeah. going around. So that was meant to do for climate change for ages ago, but the first time almost ever properly a human being start realizing from the fear, but actually should be positive turnaround. Yeah. So I I didn't feel too panic and actually hasn't yet and secretly slightly excited, mm. which is not because of this free time, but the more longer term transformation mm. and put to the positive, mm. which I hope so. I yeah. really deep ho- deeply hope so. And actually, this is a funny story. I'm, a lot of spiritual person was telling us about from last year. Around the 20th of March, it's big things happen. By then, you should prepare. Oh, wow. So many people saying, so I was preparing until mid-March. And I yeah. was like, okay. I was, we are jo- joking, oh, we should clean up everything by 20th of March. And that was a few weeks ago, I started realizing, hmm. I thought it was a bushfire, but it's actually, this is now yeah. happening and still will happen. Yeah. So main thing is ourselves to be grounded and not changing whatever, what's going to happen, but more back to what we could could have done ages ago, being mm. calm, being, be, I mean, easy to say, be pure and bare, but it's how can be our bare essential being yeah. to be, you know? So yeah. That's my research, and um, I feel, s- of course, a bit disappointed. Some of the cancellation of the, some of the festival we run and all the gigs, but yeah, some parts of me like, okay, actually, not only me cancel, everybody's canceling. Yeah. So in a way, it's incredibly privileged to be having this moment. Yeah. While we're living in this l- lifetime. Yeah. You know? So I, I, yeah, I can't speak out loud, but it's I feel quite positive. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Can you tell us more about the work that you do with um, a variety of communities? Oh, yes. Um, I've done quite lots of different diverse community to work with, like um, uh, Aboriginal community. I work with the uh, Central Australia and the Western Australia and like a five project, theatre project mm. I've done since 2007 and stuff. And um, really learn a lot from indigenous cultures, and which I didn't know before. But um, yeah, lots of interesting social engaged theatre project. And I worked also um, my good collaborator, neighbour Catherine Simmons, who does lots of social engaged work as a theatre director. So mm-hmm. I, I I actually worked as a choreographer for her project with asylum seekers, resource centres, or people who's recovering from the gambling addictions mm-hmm. it's like mental and also some of the mental health program and others like a, a, a intercultures program with the in Turkish communities and um, that's like a mixed cultures but they're particularly um, non-english speaking background mm-hmm. people 
Another one interesting or very deep project was a person works in a sex industry. Mm -hmm. So people worked in actual um, uh, brothels or porn industry, plus Mm -hmm. one woman who has been actually trafficked from Thailand. Mm. So that was um, their performance piece already created in the last seven years and stuff. So I kind of come as a performer, but also worked as a choreographer. Yeah. So theatre choreography is not just step dance way, but mm. it's actually much more gestural or mm. s- spatial choreography. Mm-hmm. But uh, as I said before, Laba Buto was originally called Dance of Darkness. Mm. So it's a lot of context from the social darkness or, for example, gambling or trafficking or people going through the trauma. That mm. darkness is actually, n- it's an incredible material to work with yeah so i withdraw that sort of element making to the certain body postures or uh, gestures or sequences of walking or you know so mm. it's that's uh, uh in in terms of yeah in the theater uh, it's great to inputting f- with this text and dialogue and the theater structure. So I, mm. I really find it uh, fascinating to work with these kind of very different diverse communities mm. yeah and what do you what do you obs- observe um as far as their participation like what what do they get out of this well it's a it's amazing process of course healing inevitably incredible healing but mm. um um much more um you know some performance you can't perform unless you be becomes a bit objective you mm. know like a, you mm. can if you're too subjective mm-hmm. like it so that's a good reminder for us too if you just only subjectively performing it's a bit also a bit not interesting not too necessarily towards not necessarily interesting towards audiences mm. but or the process the performers like for example person who've been through the trauma mm. they can't perform because they're traumatized yeah. and scream and leave the rehearsal room. yeah but the process of keep repeating this is a form. Yes. You can perform as in a form of movement. Yes. And you can get into the form yes. objectively rather yes. than subjectively. And that's difficult process, but while you're doing it, it's like a body process of you are not there and yeah. you are here now. You like know? a desensitizing. Yeah, totally. But mm. also it's a, a courage for them to think that way. Yes. You know? So it's I've, I've witnessed so many process of deep healing, mm. not even tr- trying to make a healing and lots of other psychologists or, you know, mm. other professionals, of course, around them. But mm. we are the different, we are not the necessary... A healer or you know I mean eventually becomes part of it but it's a healing process and, yeah um, and theater and dance was always used as a healing and mm. ritual you know so that was very stronger I found it meaning of performing and creating performance rather than self-important project and talk about your own mm. thing all the time which yeah. I, I tend to get into the hole sometimes but um I learned a lot from that sort of experience. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. And what about your own sort of personal practice? Like how do you approach dance practice? Is it is it structured or is it free-flowing? Uh, do you have a routine? Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, the company, the Butoh Dance Company, I came with Melbourne Festival, they were actually fully choreographed dance uh, Buddha dance because people, mm. a lot of 
people half thinking Budo is all improvised and mm. moving kind of free form, mm. which they have. But the, the company I came from, I was working and came to Australia was uh, totally choreographed, like counting mm. one, two, three, four, five, mm. six, and one, two, three, mm. four, five, six, and. And even they heard a cue of, uh, like one, two, three, uh, and mm. you have to follow the cue. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I do like the structures and the choreograph shape and form mm -hmm. to perform with. But at the same time, I cannot deny my own freedom. I love freedom to be just improv. Yeah. So in the end, I decided my kind of way of making performance is always structured, but lots of free elements. Yeah. So you have ordered structures, even music-wise music or it coming in, coming out of the different parts and musical cues, very specific. But always have a free moment on that very raw moment. Yeah. And I work a lot with other people, so I'm very free form, but I can't always choreograph people free form. So yeah. you have to still choreograph in a certain certain structure so mm. they can feel safe to um, improvise. Because improv also, if you not doesn't have anything, you can't improv. Yeah. yeah. So freedom is always there when you have a, some slight restriction, you feel more free. Yes. So I always learned you always um, want to be free, but it's actually you need a little bit of restriction and we can co um, expand your boundary a little bit more. Yes. So I do tend to get the mixture between structures and freedom. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And, and what about how you approach your practice day to day? Is there any consistency in what you do day to day, or is it an uh, everyday kind of thing? Yeah, like what, well, what does now your we day can look go, like? <laughs> <laughs> we can go out. I mean, I like to go for a walk and I go to swimming <laughs> three, four times a week. Yeah, but now swimming pools locked down. Yeah, so um, I, I do like just a more generic uh, stretching and stuff. And mm. um, well, I, I sometimes love studios rehearsal, but the, I made a lot of piece in kitchen sometimes what's that <laughs> in yeah. the kitchen oh so yeah sometimes when you do some simple cooking and idea comes or in the car I yes. put some uh, it's very interesting always a studio space to rehearse is some of the creative okay process but the more other time cooking time or driving time plus the music and start all the images came in yes. and, you know so I wasn't thinking studio is the only creative space is actually um living space is very creative space or even airplane i made a piece in airplane once yeah. and um, draw the actual structures of the performance because that was also desperation you got to present some work short work and <laughs> you just put in the airplane <laughs> make it up but then sometimes when you short time you actually got some old extracted information drawing yes. too, you know rather than Four weeks rehearsal. You just <laughs> sit down and have a coffee, talk about development. And then you're just wasting so much time. I mean, you had great time too, but I believe subconscious is more important to how you withdraw the subconscious. Yeah. They could be two seconds or can be four weeks, never get withdrawn, but yes. always listening what is you got a creative, um, creative, um, uh, how do you say, like a urge or something yeah the energy coming yes. not coming from superficial much more deeper yeah so yeah. that's 
have to be careful other than always, oh, this is a good idea, let's do it. And, yeah. I, and then two, three days later, I get bored. Yeah. So that's not really what I wanted. Maybe something much more deeper than yeah. that. That need a little longer process. Mm. So, yeah, I, I have a no um, uh, right or this is a quick answer. It's always changing. Creative things is mm. every time is a different. Every time I think I'm failing and <laughs> until <laughs> the opening, and I thought, okay, this is the worst show I've ever made. <laughs> and next day, opened, and people think you'd like it. Okay, <laughs> that's all right then. Yeah, yeah. And you come back to the dark to light and light to dark again. You yeah. Know? So it's a constant repetition. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Um. So apart from those sources of inspiration that are subconscious, mm -hmm. are there any that you're consciously aware of that you draw on? Um, as I said, maybe the tea ceremony is not the actual performance sort of dance movement practice, but mm. I start drawing into the much more attention in the detail in mm. like tea ceremony, which actually 450 years old history. Yeah of choreography <laughs> yeah so even i making my own movement but then when learn something very efficient but making so much sense in a pattern of the movement mm. initially when i was little i thought i was just conservative boring movement but yeah. it's actually when you learn they have so many theory behind and aesthetic beautiful beauty aesthetic beauty behind yeah so uh, I'm starting noticing much more in the details and daily life, even just how you lift the things or tea ceremony is a metaphor of just how deal things as a daily movement or, you know, how do mm. you m make a space between this object in yourself or yourself yeah. and to the human. So, yeah. And I'm also love human people's movement or even on the street watching people's like mm. they are more dancing than <laughs> we're on the stage. Yeah. You know? So yeah. I'm always watching people's body languages or face expressions or um, presence, body presence. So yeah. that's my interest. That's why I probably I can work with lots of non, um, not kind of in a way non-trained body. And yeah. I'm also, actually, I didn't say one of the interesting community I work with also company with the disabilities or mm -hmm. um, person who has a special needs. Or So I worked last almost six years with the company, mm -hmm. especially like weave movement theaters. And I worked a couple of years ago with back to back. And mm -hmm. So it's, again, our body conditions, very different, but that's not, we call disability, but it's actually, they're much more able body to incorporate with their space in body specific way yeah so i i learn a lot from them and i i just constantly watching people's way of dealing with their space and body that's mm. my constantly and so it's not like i'm consciously doing but that unconsciously i'm watching people's body all the time <laughs> yeah 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 i can't stop it <laughs> yeah 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 um you said before sometimes you have, you know, a little crisis of confidence of thinking, oh, this, this show is terrible or whatever. And then, oh, yeah, and, then yeah, it, yeah. and then it turns out however it turns out. Um, what other sort of challenges and obstacles do you encounter? Um, I think one of the probably interview we answered you too, like that resilience, how do you keep it up to mm. make a project in, in order to do that? Of course, mm. you 
as an artist, we can keep a positive spirit, but uh, practically we have to also raising money, mm. and you have to write applications, funding applications, and follow the government or whatever the criteria is. Mm. So it's not just free form; you do anything you like, and people commission you. Mm. So it's like almost you have to prove yourself in a certain filter, yeah. not your own unknown, undescribable feeling. <laughs> yeah, which, which is always. <coughs> tricky and um, sometimes I reflect myself almost last 30 years of my practice especially last 20 years mostly my skill of writing grant application <laughs> is high than yeah. <laughs> studio practice doing yeah. it daily every day because yeah. admin to reply with the people the how do you deal with the admin world you know yeah. so that's a question and of course you learn practically how you describe your feeling or you know your practice i'm learn i'm i learned a lot because yeah. i wouldn't have done it before i couldn't describe what i was going to do mm. and i was i was fine for that oh because i can't write i'm going to dance you know mm -hmm. that sort of time was mm -hmm. passed i have to still describe yeah so, so i think uh, this is not challenge but it's a constant question but as i we have faced now is all artists gigs stop last three months and yeah. of course funding still gonna be open and in fact I might have to finish my application this week one of them mm -hmm. but it's much more put in a different perspective do I still continue doing this or mm. do I what's this actually doing for me yeah know? so it's a very good for me to just stop thinking of course you might still continue writing but not like a blindly manically like last time you're gonna mm. just do it because you need it but it's do I really need it mm. <laughs> mm. or much more bigger picture later on in a once in a big grant and I mean I did get the fellowship that was very very helpful like two years mm -hmm. for get some all the coverage for the, your activity for like two years but you wouldn't get so many times so mm. how you keep up your mental like a resilience and um, uh, yeah keep going with that f feeling failing it you know mm, mm. but also drop yourself judgment and even you didn't get the funding it's not bad thing and you're going to mm -hmm. keep going mm -hmm. and how do you activate without relying on only funding I've been thinking last two years I just don't want to apply any more funding I don't <laughs> want to then how do I do it yeah know? so even making a T-cell in itself is possibly to making as a exchanging performance platform or something mm. i still not get answer yet but um yeah that's a possibility mm. so what was the question that was <laughs> no but you answered the question yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure mm -hmm. and i mean it seems like you know everything is moving towards yeah a stage of reflection and and acting in a considered sort mm. of way but at the same time you can be so contained you know mm. so that's my feeling of also did a tea ceremony was very contained mm. quiet world but that's why now I'm going to do break up the containment have mm. a little bit more outreach and speak out and yeah. cabaret like style so yeah. I, I've been research a lot of Japanese Edo period which is like a 16th 17th century time mm -hmm. that's also again very open radical time mm. then after that the country is locked down so it's like a similar it's a internally fulfilled and rich but how much you could do um, openly and freedomly not you know not mm. just following the order of the past 
yeah. Seems very, very relevant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you have to be keep up open too because yeah. if you don't have a place for exercising and swimming, mm. where can we do? Where have we maintain our physical, you know, not mm. meeting too much or on the podcast, uh, yeah. uh, sorry, the online. And yeah, mm. yeah. Mm. Mm. But it's a good time for us to consider and, yeah, not depressed for that mm, <laughs> in yeah. that sense yeah 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 i always end with a, a quite big question whoa <laughs> <laughs> which is um basically what you value in life as one word or no you can you can go on for as long as you like <laughs> <laughs> what's value i mean if i only say in a I always now only three big uh, three word I mm. practice for my performance and my living. I da- I said dance and spirit and tea. Ah, <laughs> yeah. So if I don't have any work coming and if I don't have any of those, I don't get that work or I don't do that kind of activity. Yes. Either dance doesn't have to be physical, but I even feel like a dancing in a mental dancing. Yeah. That's also dance and spirit. If I don't have a feel spirited or if I don't, I have to consume my spirit to do something. I I think I shouldn't do it. And mm-hmm. tea, if I don't have a time for a cup of tea or making a bowl of tea, the sense of reflections and sense of quiet, no th- no talk, just quiet sound of the water pouring. Yeah. Again, I'm a chatty tea also, but the tea is like a very sens- sens- sensual, but also tactile, silent. Uh, open space so mm. if I don't have that again I don't think it's good so if no it's a not negative reading but I will I needed that three yeah <laughs> that three not that you don't have it but yeah. and are those are those three things interrelated yes <laughs> tea and spirit and dance if you are combined that's my blissful moment yeah <laughs> yeah beautiful yeah thanks Yumi thank you We find ourselves in the midst of a a once-in-a-generation unfolding event, one that necessitates pause for reflection. This conversation with Yumi seemed very relevant, and I value her insight into building a practice that honours stillness and movement, freedom and containment, and darkness and light in equal measure. I'll be back soon with another phenomenal guest, so be sure you subscribe for more inspiring conversations.